Very good. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 1 starts really simply. Now, there are four Gospels. Most of us know that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they all have one goal, which is to tell the story of Jesus. Good. You went to Sunday school at least once. Good. So Jesus is the right answer. So the, the goal is to tell the story of Jesus. Now, they're not four different stories. I mean, really, it's about the same Jesus. But they're written to four different audiences. And because of that, they, they kind of come at things a little bit differently. And so Luke, who we're going to look at a little bit today, was a doctor. And how many of you know a doctor? Hopefully you've at least talked to a doctor before. Okay, some of you, I, that explains a lot. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so doctors can be a tad detailed. We want them to be detailed. Can I get an amen? Like, I don't want them to say, you might be kind of sick. I don't know. You might kind of want to take maybe a little bit of something. Good luck, right? We want them to be really detailed. Luke was very detailed, and he cared very much that what the story he told about Jesus was very detailed. And so chapter 2 begins with a really interesting detail. Sometimes it's easy to miss some things. But at chapter 2, verse 1, at that time, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Now, I start here really simply because of this. Jesus was born in a time and a place. Now, you kind of know that. We know that intellectually, but I'm not sure we always know that. And we don't always think about that, for, especially for those of us who grew up around church. Uh, you know who you are. Um, oops, I went the wrong way. Um, if you grew up around church, you know that the things about Jesus, you know the stories about Jesus, but oftentimes we forget that Jesus was a real person. Um, how many of you have seen The Chosen? Anybody seen this show, TV show, movie, whatever it's called? Okay, you're starting tomorrow night. You can come tomorrow night and watch some right here. Um, it's really good. Okay, so I grew up in church. I am very skeptical about super churchy things, and I didn't want to watch this show, and I didn't want to like it, but I actually, it's really good. Like, I really have fallen in love with this show. But anyway, in it, Jesus is the main character, and so you get to hear what Jesus' voice sounds like, right? Now, obviously, it's just an actor, but it's kind of interesting how that might be different than what you thought. And Jesus looks a certain way. And so Jesus lived in a place and time. He was a real person. All right, so we're going to do something very dangerous, but we're going to try. I'm looking at you, Sarah. <laughs> I'm also looking at the Tomkin girls over here. All right, here's what we're going to do that's going to be dangerous, but you can do it. All right, everybody hold up one finger. Okay, now be nice, Sarah. Be nice, and I want you to just touch your neighbor gently, super gently, just touch a poke. That's all. Okay. Gently, I said, Dawn, bad example. All right, so just like that, do you know that you could have touched Jesus if you lived in the same time and place Jesus lived? Have you thought about this before? You could have touched Jesus? Yeah? Have you, like, I don't know if Jesus would have been like a hugger or maybe like Max and learning to hug. I don't know. Like, I think he was probably a hugger. I don't know. If you thought about is Jesus ticklish or not? I don't know, right? I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, but the point is that Jesus lived in a time and a place, and he lived in that particular world, and the world that Jesus lived in, I want to talk a little bit about today, I think it'll help us see some things about our own world, but the, the world Jesus grew up in was a world in massive need. It was very broken. The whole world during Jesus' day had a lot of problems, a lot of economic disparity. There were just a few people who had almost everything and everybody else had pretty much nothing. So a lot of economic problems, a lot of wars, a lot of conflicts, 
going on all over the world. Um, things needed better, things to be better, things needed peace, right? The world needed peace. Enter into that particular sort of chaos, the Roman Empire. Now, most of you have heard at least a little bit about the Roman Empire. I don't know, maybe you took history class and know a little bit about it, but I want to share just a little about the Roman Empire um, that entered into uh, the picture in Jesus' day. So, uh, there we go. Oh, oh man, I messed up. Can you help me? There. We go. Oh. Okay. All right. Um, so the very first Caesar, Caesar salad. Sorry, that's a dad joke. I had to just. The very first Caesar. That's not. It was Julius Caesar, right? And he basically came and he said, "Okay, you've got this Roman Republic going. I'm going to take over. Thank you very much. And I'm going to be emperor now." And they basically said, uh, "Okay." And so he became emperor. Now, he called himself a god. He, was, he thought of himself as a god. And so this became really important to the story of the Roman Empire. And the rest of this story, he called himself a god. So um, if, you don't need, if you don't know much else about the Roman Empire, know that Caesar called himself god. He adopted a son, um, later called Caesar Augustus. He became Caesar. And this son, was the, this Caesar, was the Caesar that was around when Jesus was born. And interestingly, the story tells us, the story goes, that the day that Caesar Augustus was born, in the heavens there was like a meteor shower, and they believed, the Romans believed, that this was a sign, that this Caesar, this son, was to be specifically a son of God. He was the son of Julius Caesar. He was a son of God, and he was to be the one to bring peace to the whole world. And so they had these interesting little phrases um, one of them, you can find in, this inscription all over the place in the, in the artifacts of the Roman Empire, uh, divine Caesar, son of God. Oh, man. Okay, I'm just going to leave it. All right, thank you. Um, and so they believe that he was sent by the gods to, to bring peace. Uh, for his birthday celebration one year, he decided that he was going to declare the advent. What does the word advent mean? We said it earlier. The advent of Caesar, and he was going to make his birthday celebration 12 days. You probably know this song that goes the 12 days of Caesar. Oh, wait, what is it again? The 12 days of Christmas. We'll talk about this in just a second. You're getting the point. So enter into this picture of all this brokenness in the world, this Roman Empire, and they brought what was called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, Roman peace. And this Pax Romana uh, during this particular time, basically covered 20 to 25% of the entire globe, the, the civilized world as we knew it. Basically, from England all the way down through India was the Roman Empire. Um, and so to get the word out in that day, uh, what the Romans did was they didn't have social media. They didn't even have the internet. They didn't even have a cell phone. Can you imagine this? They didn't even have... Have you guys heard of newspapers? They didn't even have those, right? They didn't have... Uh, news TV to watch. So what they did in order to get the word out about how things were, where it was going on in the Roman world was they, they put the news on money because they knew everybody wanted money and everybody would touch money. So on their very coins, they would put some inscriptions and some pictures. Now, probably around this time when Jesus was born, there, were, there was a coin going around that had two sides. One side was Julius Caesar. The other side was Caesar Augustus. 
And I want you to, to understand this. On the side that it was Caesar Augustus, the inscription read, Savior of the world. So they would announce all the time when the Roman Empire showed up, peace has come. They would say, there is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved but that of Caesar. Let me say that phrase one more time. There is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved but that of Caesar. Now, those of you who maybe know your Bible well, the the alarm bells might be going off because this phrase was, of course, co-opted a little later. So Caesar brought peace, but he brought peace through war, political coercion, military might, and domination. So the way it would work is sort of like this. Um, If the Roman Empire decided they were going to take over your particular part of the world, they would show up and they would send a herald just ahead, and the herald with a small contingent of people would show up outside the city gates, and he would basically plant this marker there that basically said, Caesar is coming. He would announce the advent of Caesar. Um, the word they used to describe this herald was euagelia, which is this word that we use to basically mean evangelical. His, his goal was to announce the good news of the coming of Caesar and that Caesar would bring peace. Now, when this herald came and said, Caesar is Lord, this was the phrase he would use. Caesar is Lord. You would know that he was coming. The leaders of your city would come out to meet him, and you would say, he would say, Caesar is Lord, and then you would have a choice. Right then and there was your big moment. You could say, yes, Caesar is Lord. Come on in. Or you could say, ah, no, Caesar is not Lord. Now, if you said that, you just need to know, right over the shoulder of the herald, was one of the greatest military forces the world's ever known. (laughs) And if you said no, you need to understand, they were going to come into your city anyway. They were going to take you and the other leaders out of the city and crucify you right outside the city gates, and then they would take over anyway. They would bring, quote unquote, if I can say it this way, the peace of the Roman Empire, Roman peace. The peace of Caesar would come. Peace has come. So for peace to come in the Roman Empire, it meant you had to have right relationship with Caesar, with the Roman Empire. This was the kind of peace that was offered. Now, God chose instead to show us a little different way. So God's response was a different kind of peace. So we know from Scripture that God came as I want you to, again, understand this announcement, the contrast between Caesar and the contrast between Jesus. Caesar was born in a palace. Caesar was born with much proclamation and announcement. Caesar was born declaring him the savior of the world. Jesus was born as a helpless baby in a manger in a poor town called Bethlehem. And God's promise from the prophet Isaiah that we read just a little while ago that said that he's sending a prince of peace had to sound a little interesting in this time. 
Uh, from Luke chapter 2, I'm going to read just a little bit more of what we read a little bit of, uh, starting in verse 11. And the angel said to the shepherds. So the first proclamation came to shepherds. Are shepherds, do you think, powerful people? No. Okay. Shepherds smell really bad. You know that? Do you have that friend who smells bad? Don't point at him. All right. So if you have that friend who smells really bad, these are the shepherds, right? They're, they're very much marginalized, low, low, low on the stratosphere kind of people. Angels come to them. The angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Did you catch this? I want to make sure you catch this. In the shadow, in the midst of the Roman Empire, that said that who is savior of the world? Caesar. The angels declare that the savior who is Christ the Lord. They said glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he, with whom he is pleased. This is a major, should be a major, what is going on kind of God's peace is a different kind of peace. In the New Testament, stay with me for just a second. I'm going to give you a little bit of lesson in language, and then we're going to get somewhere in a hurry. Um, in the New Testament, the word for peace is irene. Say irene. It's really fun to say. Irene. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it means basically peace, but it means peace in a different kind of way. It doesn't just mean like not fighting. It means that people are joined together, that they are one. The, the root word arrow for that means to tie things together, to join things together. So the idea behind this word in the New Testament of peace is that everything is brought together. In the Old Testament, the word is shalom. You maybe have heard this before. Um, the idea behind shalom is that everything is in right relationship, that you are in right relationship with God and with all others. All of creation is in right relationship. It's basically the flourishing of everything and everyone, and this last phrase is really important, at the same time. Let me say this again. It's the flourishing of every person and everything at the same time. One way to think about it might be this. Man, I'll get this right sooner or later. If I have peace of some kind in my life, but my neighbor does not, that's injustice, not shalom. The idea of peace is that everyone is flourishing, that everyone has what they need. And for many of us, I think in the world that we live in, we've been told something different, that as long as everything's okay with us, then it's okay. <laughs> but this kingdom of God seems to be saying something else is different. Isaiah promised this prince of peace, and here comes this baby, a helpless baby, to do something so instead of bringing his peace, God's peace, with might and with power and coercion, instead of that, God chooses to bring peace in a different kind of way. He shows us something different. He brought us peace in a new way, in loving and serving. And so his son Jesus comes, and his Jesus' followers come, 
doing something radically different. They live in this way of love and serving. So they have compassion, unbelievable compassion in the world that they're in. They live in such a way that, they, that everyone has value, that everyone has, can experience healing, that there is forgiveness, that there is uh, a humility about them, there's a gentleness, that there's a patience. The earliest followers of Jesus, they basically, they would look at somebody's life and they would ask them, they would basically ask for two questions, right? right? So is somebody really a follower of Jesus? There are two things, two criteria, that's all, two, that we could tell if someone was a real follower of Jesus. One of them was love, did they love others? And the second was patience. Thankfully, we've got all those taken care of, right? We're all good, yeah. So these followers of Jesus came showing a different way, a different kind of peace by loving and serving the people around them. Now, these centers, again, if the herald came, took over your town and said that it was part of the Roman Empire now, the, Roman, the peace of Rome has come, they would call these new cities, these new places they overcame, they would call them worship centers for Caesar. And they had a name for these, it was ecclesia. That was the word they used to describe these worship centers. Interestingly, in the New Testament, the followers of Jesus took that same word ecclesia, which, and they translated that into the word church. They basically said, yes, there should be worship centers, but not for Caesar, for Jesus instead. They brought this different way of living in the world, this way of peace. They believed they actually were the body of Christ. Even though Christ had left, they believed that they were his hands and feet. They believed that their job was to love and serve just as Jesus had shown them to love and serve. And so the world around them didn't really get them at all. Now, try to imagine with me if you can, but in that particular day, if you were a Roman, people got together in certain groups, right? So one of the big separations, the groups that they would have, again, try to imagine this with me, was around political ideas, right? So like if you were a certain political party, then you would hang out with other people in that political party. If you were this political party, you'd hang out with the, again, try to imagine a world like that, right? Where people just, and then, and then if you saw somebody from a different political party, you would immediately be like, oh, I know who they are. I don't want anything to do with them. Again, just try to imagine this in your head. And then they would also get together in these other groups where they worshiped certain things. Like maybe there was a certain kind of athlete or sports team that they would get together with. Again, try to imagine this. It's, a, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? Uh, or maybe there was a certain kind of uh, a celebrity, if you will, somebody who was a really good entertainer and they, they choose to follow them. And so they get into these groups around those people. And then you had these really weird group of people called Christians, Christ followers, little Christ. And what they would do is they would get together and they would begin to live in this way of peace by loving and serving. Now check this out. They would love and serve each other. They would carry one another's burdens, which is miraculous in and of itself. Like, I just want you to think for a second about the people you like a lot, okay? You got somebody in your head, somebody you like a lot, okay? Are they always easy to love? Okay. <laughs> Some of you are like, no, I don't want to move my head but because they're sitting next to me, but no, right? Okay, now think about it this way. Then the Christians, they would also do something else crazy. They wouldn't just care for those people. They also started to bring people around them that were the marginalized, the people who didn't have very much at all, the people who were poor and smelly and weren't good enough. And they would find those people who nobody else wanted to hang out with, and they would invite them to their parties, to their hangout time, and they would love and serve them. 
That's crazy too. Now, not only that, stay with me, they would actually go to people, stay with me, this is miraculous, they would go to people even in different political parties, and they would actually love them and serve them, and they would hang out together, and they would they would actually do acts of compassion and service for other people together. And then stay with me. This is also crazy. Again, the world didn't get this at all. Just try to imagine it. Then they did something else crazy. Not only did they serve the marginalized and the, and their, and the people they didn't get along with, they actually purposefully sought out their enemies. Now, I know that we're advanced civilization and we don't have enemies anymore, but... And that day they had enemies. And, and they would not just know their enemies, they would go and purposefully try to love and serve those people. And so, of course, the world didn't get what they were up to. They didn't understand. So they took the gospel, this good news, and began to change the world. They also believed something else that's a little crazy. And I think it might change some things about the way we lived if we believe this too. Which is this. If that's Jesus, you should answer. Yeah. Which is this. They believe that when they got together, that Jesus himself was actually there with them. That Jesus was actually in their midst when they came together in his name. I wonder if that might change me a little bit if I believe that. Would that maybe change our worship a little bit if we believe that Jesus was right there with us? So they believe that Jesus was actually present, bringing peace to everyone as they came together. They understood that they could not do this alone. They needed other people. And so sure enough, they depended on Jesus to help them do this. And so the question before them was simply this, who do you say is Lord? Is it Caesar who comes in with his army and crucifies and kills to make peace? Or is it Jesus, the one who changes people from the inside out? Who is it? Which brings us to the world we live in today. Do we have a world that is in need? Yes. Do we have a world that's broken? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, of course. We live in a world that needs peace, less conflict, less war, of course. But we also don't experience peace when things happen to us, like when we can't pay our bills, we don't have peace, right? When when we're in conflict with somebody that we're in close relationship with, guess what? We need peace, amen? We don't have peace. In the midst of divorce, we need peace, amen? In the midst of cancer diagnosis, we need peace, amen? In the midst of anxiety... We need peace. Since 2019, anxiety has gone up in our country just across the board 30%, okay? 30%. That's alarming, should be alarming. Particularly alarming is, and maybe you've seen some of this on the news or read a little bit about this, particularly alarming is among our young people. So it used to be before 2019, um, before then, uh, the least anxious group of age group of people in our country were basically teenagers, okay? They were the least anxious of all the people. Now, that's not saying that some didn't have anxiety and there wasn't depression and suicide. Of course, there was. 
But across the board, the, the least anxious age group, above, uh, uh, even children were more anxious than teenagers were, okay? Since 2019, with young people, teenagers, we've had a 300% increase in anxiety. Is that a lot? Yes. And they've gone from being the least anxious group to the most anxious group. Yeah. Does our world need some peace? Can I get an amen? Yeah, we need some peace. We need some peace. And maybe some of us are in this room today saying, we look around at the world and we wonder, is Jesus really still at work? Like, I don't see the things that are broken getting fixed very often. (laughs) And that's a fair thing to say and to ask. But I want to just start with a simple idea, and then we're going to build on this from here which is this, that God is with us. Every Sunday at Generations, we light this candle. This is called the Christ candle for a reason. It just represents that Jesus is with us. There's nothing magical about this candle. It's a candle. But it's a way for us to visually remind ourselves that God is with us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get distracted or lose my way in my thoughts. I'm sure not while I'm preaching, but sometimes when maybe other people are. And so sometimes this candle can be a good way to remind us to recenter ourselves, someplace to look. It's a, it's a symbol, but it reminds us that God is with us. And here's the thing. What many of us want and we've been taught to expect is that peace comes only through war and domination and manipulation. But Jesus models for us a different way. He says he's going to come in loving and serving us. He's going to be with us even in the midst of our struggles. Even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of everything else, Jesus comes and is with us. He brings us a different kind of peace, a peace that transforms us from the inside out. Now, we obviously, we expect an ultimate shalom, an ultimate peace. That will come someday. But right now, that is not here. But what is here is Jesus. And I just want to say this, that we are invited into this transforming relationship and life right now. And there are some people who live this way. As if Jesus was really Lord, as if Jesus really invites us to love and serve. And and some of you probably know some of these people, right? Because some of them are in this room, I know. Um, Maybe you can point to those people or think about those people, people who are humble and gentle and patient. People who know God is with them. People who bring peace. They're the kind of people that when you're with them, you get this sense that you've been with Jesus. That is That is ecclesia. That is a place of worship when we can live in such a way that we bring peace with us to the people around us. April shared earlier about Rochelle. She was a person of peace. She was a person who brought peace. And in the midst of this diagnosis that she talked about, Rochelle, instead of doing what a lot of people do in the midst of that, which is that lash out at others, or maybe close themselves off from everybody else. Rochelle did the opposite kind of thing. Her and James did something interesting. They began to reach out even more. And what they would do when when you would come and visit with them, and and maybe some of you in here got the privilege of doing that, but what they would do is Rochelle would grab 
grab your hand oftentimes and she would say, you know, Jesus' love is real. I want you to know his peace. I want you to, I, we have this incredible peace that we are not alone, even in the midst of this, that there's something bigger going on here. It's not just about my physical experiences. It has something bigger going on in this world. And this is the promise of Jesus, that he would bring peace to our hearts and to our lives that is beyond just a physical reality. He would bring us to a place where we could love and serve and be with people in ways that defy expectation. So here we are in this season heading towards Advent, towards the coming. With a Jesus who says we have come to live and bring peace. Not a peace of power, but a peace through love and serving. So maybe today, maybe we can acknowledge that our peace starts with in our own soul. So I'm just going to ask you some questions for a second. Maybe, maybe a simple question like, am I in right relationship with God myself right now? Romans chapter 5, Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God through what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. And this picture is this, that maybe you're at a place where in your life right now, you're not experiencing much peace. And maybe you have this sense, this tension in your life. And sometimes, as April, I so appreciate your honesty, shared, sometimes we feel like we're angry with God and we're pushing away. And maybe if you're in that place, or maybe you're in a place where you feel like, I don't know that this relationship is so good. Can I just invite you to experience a Jesus who is with you? who loves you and wants to be with you right now. And the amazing thing happens when we begin to say, I want this kind of peace. God, will you help me with this kind of peace? Then God begins to show us maybe next steps. And a lot of times that's things like stepping into community, maybe a next step with a small group or with a Bible study group or uh, a chance to actually be with people. I want to challenge and invite you to step into those particular opportunities. Maybe we need to think about right relationship with our neighbor. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, for he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. I'd like to invite you to do something really simple. We should just to imagine yourself in the very center and, and then coming off from you as this web of relationships you have. So I want you to start with the people that come to mind right away. So I want you to think about your family for a minute, okay? Many of you spent a lot of time with family over the last week. <laughs> Some of you will be in therapy next week. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, I want you to think about your family for a minute. Are there any of those webs of relationship where things are broken? And maybe God would would begin to encourage you to maybe reach out in ways that don't make sense. And it's not about who's right. It's about saying, can I love and serve? And then maybe I'll challenge you to think about your friends. <laughs> and I just, or maybe some of your former friends that might come to mind. And maybe I just want to challenge you to, today to say, what would it look like for me to love and serve in those relationships? 
even those that are strained or broken. See, because what Jesus is inviting us into isn't just a a peace when it's convenient. He's inviting us to love and serve even when it's hard. And he's promised that he would be with us to help us forgive, to help us reach out. And it's true, of course, relationships are two ways. But can we do our part to make sure the door is open? And then I'll ask this question. Maybe we have some questions to ask as a church about what does it mean to live in peace with our community? Paul says, as a prisoner of the Lord then, in Ephesians chapter 4, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient with one another Bearing with one another in love. And then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let me say that again. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. That's such an annoying part of the Bible, right? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And so I just wonder what it would look like if we began to ask the question, how do we live in unity with even our community? How do we be, as the early followers of Jesus, how do we believe that we're to be hands and feet of Jesus, to be his body? How do we do that? Um, a really quick story. There's a, a young girl. She came through this program, this Youth Becoming Leaders program. She lives in Texas. and she, um, She's an artist. And when I say artist, whatever you think of, yes, she's all that. So she's never on time. You know, time is an abstract concept, right? Um, uh, she, everything is beautiful or terrible, whatever, all those things, right? The, she's a full artist in every way. Now, her church that she goes to, they have this incredible ministry where they um, try to help uh, people who are recovering from addiction. And one of the things they do is they, they understand that addiction, of course, uh, is part of the problem for the person who's not experiencing peace. But they also recognize it's a problem for the family, right? And many of you have maybe have perhaps um, lived in to some of that. You feel that. And so this church does this, this interesting thing where they, they just work really hard to try to minister not just to that person out of their addiction, but to their family. And so they do all kinds of things throughout the year for this, for families, especially the kids. Uh, and once a year, they do this thing where they bring all the family together and they throw this incredible sort of lavish banquet for these people who are coming out of addiction and for their families to be together so they don't have to worry about anything. They can just be together. And it's just kind of this beautiful thing. Well, Jenna loves this. She thinks it's amazing. But the problem is she, she's not an addict. Her family's not in, in dealing with any of that. She doesn't know how she can really help. Um, but she has these friends that are artists as well. So what she does is she says, I know what we can do. So she gets her friends together who are all artists and they start doing these things where they start they having these little parties and they start making like little necklaces and bracelets and earrings and these like handmade uh, like holiday cards and all this kind of stuff. And then they sell them on Etsy. Do you guys know what Etsy is? Okay. Yes? Okay, it's okay if you're a man and you can say yes. It's okay. We won't, we won't look. All right. So, right, Etsy. And they start making this money so that they can help fund this dinner for these families to come together. This one girl gets this picture, and she says, what would it look like? How could I help bring peace to my community? 
And I wonder what it would look like for maybe some of us in this room or maybe for us as a community of generations to come around and bring peace to our specific community. So the question, just like in Jesus' day, is really whose peace will you choose? We can choose to live as the world tells us is the only way. We can choose to live in a peace that is brought only by our power and our might and our manipulation and our control and our control and our desire for control. Or we can choose to live a different way. We can allow the Christ, who is the true king, to come and inhabit us. To come and bring his spirit that would bring us and lead us to unity, to loving and serving our neighbors, our family, our friends, our enemies, that would lead us to come together and serve and love our community. Do we live in a broken world? Yes. Do we live in a broken world? Yes. Does the world need some solutions to its problems? Yes. Can I, can I argue today that Jesus brings the peace that the world needs? The question is, will we be willing to live into it. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we thank you for this day, for your son Jesus, and for the peace that you bring. God, I pray that you would challenge us to live into that kind of peace. Thank you for the models and examples you've given us and some of the people in this room and some of the people like Rochelle and James that have modeled that for us. God, I pray that in the midst of all of these things, I pray that you would help us to live into this peace. And we admit, full scale, we do not have what it takes by ourselves. And so we need you. Lord, we need you. Help us to be the kind of people who bring peace to the world around us. And do that by first starting with our hearts. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. And everybody said,